Greetings, listeners, if any, and welcome to DM Dad, the podcast about running D&D and other RPGs for kids. A great way to spend time with your family now that your friends are too old and have all moved away. So here I am recording yet another episode. So much for my once a week schedule. Um, the impetus for this episode was uh, a call in from Colin from Spike Pit, who asked about what's one of my favorite new RPGs. So let's hear from Colin. Hi, this is Colin Spike Pit. How you doing, Robert? enjoying your episodes mate i just i uh, wanted to call in to say any comments that you've got on uh, kids on bikes i'd be interested to hear i uh, picked up the ashcan rules and read through them and it looks interesting the other thing you might want to have a listen to dragon talk uh, wizards of the coast podcast they did a on the july 19th they did an episode on teaching with D and um, as a a DM dad, I thought you might be interested. It's a good episode. You may have already heard it. Anyway, um, hope to hear from you soon. Take care. Keep up the good work. Bye, mate. Thanks for that, Colin. Uh, listening back to my earlier segment, I just realized that call in, as in a calling into a show, and call in rhyme, at least in an American accent, that was not me being clever. That was just a coincidence. Um, I am not that funny, um, at least when I try to be. So uh, two questions there, or two two things there. One was the uh, episode of Dragon Talk. Um, thanks for that suggestion. I will definitely check that episode out. I, uh, I don't follow Dragon Talk regularly, and uh, the reason for that is um, I like 5e. I play it. I run it. Um, it's very popular. It's the current official version of the game. And I feel like there's enough people, you know, in playing in that pool. You know, it's, uh, I don't follow 5e discussions, basically. Um, I find most of them are like, how can I make my character more powerful? What's the optimal way to create my dragonborn sorcerer and stuff like that? And those things don't interest me. Um, I, I kind of follow almost exclusively OSR podcasts, blogs, and stuff like that. Um, the things that are discussed on those, on those, uh, well, in that arena, the OSR arena, those are the questions that I'm interested in, which is usually just how to make the game more challenging and fun. Um, not that overpowered characters can't be fun too, if that's your bag, but it's not my bag. Um, but, I will check that particular episode out because that is definitely something I would be interested in. And now on to a subject that is near and dear to my heart, the uh, role-playing game known as Kids on Bikes. So Kids on Bikes is a new role-playing game. Um, let's make sure I get the creator's names right. That is... Created by Jonathan Gilmore and Doug Lewandowski. Um, I f the premise of this game is the player the players are kids in a small town a long time ago. 
and strange and supernatural things are happening and they ride their bikes around town and investigate it while the grown-ups do boring grown-up stuff it's obviously evocative of stranger things um probably the most immediate uh influence that led to creating this at this rpg at this time but of course it also evokes all the things that stranger things itself references um all the great things that i remember from my childhood number one on my list obviously is going to be the goonies um the explorers which is kind of like a close second in my estimation to the goonies starring a very young ethan hawk and river phoenix some Plucky preteens build a spaceship and fly into outer space to meet preteen aliens. E.T., of course. Um, Monster Squad, um, not a great film by any standards, but uh, one that I enjoyed when I was of a certain age. Before I saw Monster Squad, I don't ever remember referring to testicles as nards, but I always did after that. So when I first heard about this game, I had to get it. And I heard about it on Matt Colville's YouTube channel. I've been following Matt Colville's, Matt Colville's YouTube channel for a couple of years. Um, I discovered it when he was doing a series called History of D&D One Fighter at a Time, where he went all the way back to Zero Edition, the three little brown booklets, and rolled up a fighter in every single edition to illustrate how the rules changed. And that was my introduction to the history of D&D and how much it had changed over its more than 40-year history. Um, so he was doing a an update video where he just had a long video about all the things that he'd been doing over the years, over this year, and he mentioned that he contributed what he pitched as an adventure to this new game, Kids on Bikes. He explained it. I instantly decided I needed to get it. It was in Kickstarter stage. I just made the deadline to back it. I backed the deluxe edition because that was the one that would come with the modules, as they're called. They're not actually modules. I'll get to that later. And I eagerly awaited the release of the PDF because um, I, I backed it only at PDF. Um, I do that a lot because I uh, most of these Kickstarters are... They come from the the U.S. and I live in the U.K. and the shipping charges would would kill me really. So the PDF dropped. Well, the the basic rules PDF dropped, and um, I got that. So the the modules weren't ready yet, but the rules were in place. And I'll be honest with you, instantly my heart sank because I really wanted to run this game. And I run games for my kids. I don't have the opportunity to run games for other adults yet, anyway. And as we all know, in in a game like Dungeons & Dragons, the Game Master is the one who is responsible for world building. Either they choose a pre-made world and run it, or they run their own world, or mash up several worlds together but they're in charge of the world the players are only in charge of their characters and that's how it goes not so in kids on bikes in kids on bikes the players take a major hand in world building in fact they for the most part they build the world and 
two things went through my mind when I read that. First of all, hey, that's my job. You're stepping on my game master toes. Um, that's not how it's supposed to work. And second, I don't know if my kids are going to be able to build a world. And they don't have to build a whole world. It sort of takes place in the real world, but they do have to build a town. So for a long time, this PDF sat in my cloud drive unplayed. I had already mentioned it before I got the PDFs to my daughter. And so she asked about it. She's like, are we ever going to play Kids on Bikes? Have you got it yet? I said, oh, yeah, I have got it, but I don't think we can play it after all. Because you know how in Dungeons and Dragons I make up the world and then I tell you what's going on and you make your decisions. Um, in this game, you have to make the world up yourself. And she's like, what do you mean? It's like, well, you have to make up a town. It takes place in a town. And it suggests that it's a small town. And it suggests that it's sometime in the past before everybody had smartphones and video cameras in their pockets and things. Um, and apart from, apart from that, you know, you can do what you like, but you have to think of things like, um, you have to give the town a name. You have to choose what the town's business is, what, what its local industry is. What is it famous for? What is it infamous for? I'm actually reading this from the, the rules right now. These are the questions you ask your players. And this is the, this is the game master saying to the players on the first session what's the name of our town what industry is our town known for apart from its industry what's it famous for you know does it have like the world's deepest pit or the world's biggest donut what is it infamous for economically is it prospering floundering stagnant what's a notable organization you know like like the elks or the rotarians or or something local that they only have in this town or you know a fictional version of one of those famous organizations what are what are some notable landmarks and you want some rumors associated with them what's the sports team called and then each player suggests rumors about the town now these rumors don't have to be true that's what the the gm does the gm decides are these rumors true? Are they partially true? What's the, what's what's actually going on behind them? If they're completely false, why do people think that? Because already the players are going to be setting up their own adventure. They're, they're giving themselves their own adventure hooks. Uh, but it's going to be your job to tweak it so that it's still unexpected. So I was explaining this to my daughter, and instantly she started giving me suggestions, and they were sound. Now, we were in the swing park near our house at the time, so I said, well, when we get home, let's write this stuff down, and I guess we'll be able to play it after all. Um, so I have a list here of the details of the town that we created together. And when I say together, it's 80% her, really. So the first thing, when I said, you need to make up a town, she said, I want it to be a seaside town. And she named a town that on the east coast of Scotland that we go to on holiday a lot. And I said, well, that's a really good idea. I mean, it showed me that she was thinking of a look and a feel. 
And I said, you know, towns like that on the seaside are often holiday destinations. That means that they're really busy in summer and really empty in winter. And they have a lot of houses that are meant for holiday let, but those houses are empty when it's not the summer season. And she said, yeah, and one of those houses is really big and old um, and it's haunted. I was like, well, that's a great idea. I mean, that's classic, you know. So we went home and we started writing stuff down. She said, the name of the town is Marywater. And I said, is it Marywater as in Merry Christmas or is it Marywater as in Mary the name? And she said, there's two towns, one of each. And I suggested that one of them is the seaside resort and one of them isn't. And people sometimes book the wrong one and that makes them frustrated. She said that the seaside one, the correct one, is Mary Water, Mary the name. And she said that Mary Water was the first mayor of the town and that it's named after her. Um, and I suggested that maybe she was also the first woman mayor in the USA. And she said that was a good idea. So now we've got some, you know, historical feminism going on. Um, there's a stat. She said there's a statue of her in the uh, middle of town, and sometimes it cries. It's like well, that's that's brilliant. She said that there's lots of caves along the seaside, like little sea caves, you know, um, and that. It's famous for being a seaside resort and also famous for exploring the seed caves. And it's infamous for its haunted house. Um, she said that there's a book club in the library and that the there's a chapter of the Elks. And she named the, foot, the school sports team the Peregrines because she loves peregrine falcons. So she also suggested some other rumors that um, the school's science teacher is rumored to be a witch and that one of the caves at the seaside has um, a monster in it. And she also said that the local play park, that when no one's looking, the, uh, the swings and the uh, roundabout and the seesaw and stuff, they all kind of come to life and start moving by themselves. So, so it's basically like, there's more than enough for us to start running this game. And that kind of shows me that I really ought to have trusted her creativity all along. So in a roundabout way, Colin asked about the Ashcan version. That's the free version. You can, you can download this free PDF, um, we all love free PDFs. If I, there are more free PDFs of RPG rule systems on my cloud drive than there are stars in the sky, um, or at least visible stars, thanks to the magic of light pollution. So yeah, the the deluxe version, including the modules, and these modules are not modules; they are fleshed out towns like that. So instead of making up your own town, you basic it's a pre-made town. And because the town includes rumors, landmarks, and possible NPCs, it's enough for you to start running the game using uh using one of those pre-made towns. But I had such a 
great experience letting my eight-year-old daughter create this town that for me, I think it's definitely worth it getting, if not the deluxe version, because the reason I got the deluxe version is because I wanted to see what Matt Coville's town was, because I like Matt Coville and I wanted to see what, what he would come up with. There's also, in between the Ash Can and the deluxe one, there's just the, the kind of complete rules, which it doesn't have any of the uh, the fleshed out towns, it, but it has everything else that the, the deluxe version would be. I think it is worth shelling out um, to uh, to get the uh, the walkthrough of how you would flesh out a town, how you would create a town, because it, for me, one of the most rewarding parts of running this game, and one of the reasons I love it so much and enjoy it so much, is because my daughter and I built it together. I mean, you could probably do that with the Ashcan version itself, but to make it quick the Ashcan version gives you the creator's um, homebrew town, which is a good town. Um, it's... Uh, Perkins, Colorado, is that what it is? Yes. Perkins, Colorado, 1982. See, when you, when I'm going through the Ashcan version right now, um, cause you can just look at it for free online whenever you want to. And it says, yeah, this is a collaborative effort where you all work together to tell an awesome 80 story. The deluxe version and the complete version of the rules do not specify a decade. You could set it in the fifties, the sixties, you could set it in the forties, the great depression. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is set it before the iPhone came out or really before mobile phones were prominent. I would, I, I personally to get the right feel wouldn't set it any earlier than the mid 90s um and my game definitely sets is is set in the 80s i'm basically using this as a way to relive my childhood and also educate my kids about what life was like when i was their age so i suggested the year so Marywater, rhode island i i i i suggested it be in rhode island because when i hear a resort town i think newport Rhode Island, but I thought a resort in Rhode Island that isn't Newport, it's going to be like the, the cheap version of Newport, and that's exactly the, the right feel. And my daughter specified that it's sufficient economically, but not prosperous. And that sounds about right for a place that is the slightly cheaper version of, uh, of Newport, Rhode Island. So it won't be full of like rich people. It'll be full of... Uh, uh, what do you call the social climbers, the parvenu, something like that. And so basically I wrote this stuff down. They created characters in place of class. You don't have classes in this game, but they do give you some tropes like brilliant mathlete or bully. Um, basically, you know, tropes that you get from popular culture you know you could play a member of the breakfast club basically one of one of those tropes my kids don't know about those tropes um they haven't reached the the stage in their experience with school where the kids start breaking themselves up into cliques and identities so we just we did it the uh the alternative way which is you just create a bespoke character and it's not hard 
There are six stats. They are brains, brawn, fight, flight, charm, and grit. Brains, obviously, your intelligence, brawn, more like your toughness. Fight, your ability to fight. Flight, your ability to run away. Charm, you know, that's charisma. And grit, you know, that's how well you kind of cope with adversity, both mentally and physically. You get one of the traditional six RPG dice, um, one each, and you assign one to each of these stats. So creating a bespoke character is, you know, you think about who you want to be. First, you do have to choose your age. You can be a kid, a teenager, or an adult. And you get certain advantages and disadvantages based on your age. But you probably know which one you want to play because you probably know, like, when I imagine myself in this kind of an adventure, do I imagine myself like one of the Goonies or like Steve from Stranger Things or, you know, like a struggling single parent whose kids are always, you know, disappearing and I have to go bail them out of supernatural trouble. And then you decide, what do you want to be best at it? You know, give yourself the D20 first. And then what do you want to be worst at? Assign your D4 stat. And then think about the remaining four stats. Uh, D12, you're good at that. You're not, not brilliant, not like, you know. One of the things that they talk about with the D20 is that somebody meeting you for the first time, they would they would immediately know that you're good at this. And with your D4, somebody meeting you for the first time, it would be immediately obvious that you're bad at it. The D12, you're good at it, but they would maybe have to see you do it before they realize you're good. Same with the, the D6. You're bad at it. Like, say you have a D6 in brains, and you suck at math. But probably somebody would have to see you attempt a math problem before they realize, like, man, you suck at math. Your your D10 is above average and your D8 is below average, which I guess implies that if there were a such a thing as a D9, that would be average. So it's easy to build your character based on what you think you're good at, bad at, and okay at. Then there are some game skills. And, or some, yeah, some game strengths. But building a character is really quick and easy. Um, it's not a rules-heavy system, so there's not a lot of things like encumbrance and stuff. You assign a bunch of stuff to your backpack, but it's basically like things that you, that you might be expected to have and that you might be expected to carry with you all the time. And my kids definitely imagine that they have literal backpacks. And one of the things my daughter had, I mean, she wanted to bring a torch. I'm like, that's perfectly fine. You can have a torch. She said, I want a squirt gun. And my character's dad really loves chili sauce, just like you. And I've stolen his chili sauce and I filled my squirt gun with chili sauce. Like, that's great. That is exactly something that a kid in one of these movies would do. In fact, I'm sure there is a movie where somebody put chili sauce in a squirt gun. Not that she's seen it. She just came up with this idea. She's like, I want chili sauce in my squirt gun. And I'll tell you this, right? 
If you shoot a grown-up in the eye with with chili sauce, I don't care how tough he thinks he is. He's going to be out for, for a little while. So, um, you can do all of this stuff with the ash can rules. Um, my only comment about it is that you know, by using the default setting and it's a good setting. I mean, I, I, I used to live in Colorado. It's a great place for this sort of adventure. They've done a great job. Um, but I would have been sorry to miss the amazing experience of having, um, my daughter participate in world building. And I'll tell you this, it is the least amount of prep I've ever had to do for a game my daughter drew the map of the town it does you don't have to have a map this is not a game where you track movement and stuff and have you know there's no tactical combat there are rules for fighting but it's actually implied that that's a bad idea especially if there is something supernatural you know you know if there's a werewolf in your town you're not gonna you're not gonna really kick him in the nards because you'll just die so this is not really a game about tactical combat but she drew a map of the town, and we have that map out every time we play the game. And we do use that to say, well, I need to get from here to here. So then we can say, well, that this is going to take you a certain amount of time. It's ballpark. It's not exact. But it's just amazing that she did that. All I have to do, I've made some notes about the rumors. And I start each session asking them, what are they doing today? And they narrate this. They narrate what they're up to today, and then I slowly bring today's adventure into it. And whenever they do something, whenever they pursue something, I just think, how can I complicate that? And it's the most relaxed and least amount of of prep that I've ever done as a as a DM. And it's really changed my mind about how I want to run all RPGs. Basically, and I think it's a big part of why I'm gravitating towards rules light systems towards more improv more doing things on the fly is because you know from running this game i'm like i've seen the light you know i don't want to spend eight solid hours of prep for one session not even in D D, you know um so i can't praise that aspect of it highly enough um and if you're going to stick with the Ashcan version, I mean, you try before you buy, you know, it's free. So it's a good way to, to do that. Um, if you think you're up to it, you can try. Um, you can try making up your own town anyway. Like look at the details they've supplied for Perkins, Colorado, and try to supply alternate details for whatever town you're going to run in and going to run in. Or just, you know, use Perkins, Colorado and maybe switch to a homebrew town if you decide you want to actually put some money into it and buy the complete rules. Um, let me... I've never uh, really talked about the uh, the first session we had. So I, w I was really... Uh, I was really intrigued by this haunted house. I love haunted houses. But here's the thing, right? She said, 
old Victorian mansion, used to be a popular holiday let, has been abandoned for a while, rumored to be haunted. If it was just ordinary haunted, then there wouldn't be much of an adventure. Where's the surprise? So I started thinking, how can I, how can I subvert that a little bit? How can I change it? Especially she did let me know that she was going to be doing the, she was going to be going to the house and investigating the house on the first, you know, on the first session. I was like, well, she goes and investigates the house and just finds a ghost to nothing else. Then, you know, where's the surprise? So I thought, there is a ghost, but it's a friendly ghost. And I, I was thinking specifically of Josette Collins from the old TV show Dark Shadows and how Josette was always looking out for members of the Collins family and, you know, coming and giving them warnings and stuff like that. So she's not the villain. The villain, and this I kind of took maybe from the from the Goonies, always one of my touchstones, you know, the Fratellis are they're hiding out and the kids fall foul of them. So I had like a group of bank robbers who have just escaped from prison and they're they're hiding out there. So while the kids are investigating the house, they fall foul of the bank robbers. And a lot of the conflict is the kids evading the bank robbers. And I was going to keep the ghost, the ghost of Mary Waters. So this is Mary Waters' old house, in fact. I was going to keep uh, Mary Water as a deus ex machina. And I mean, I know deus ex machina is getting the players out of trouble in the end. Isn't always the most popular thing in an RPG. But this isn't a game about avoiding death the way that D&D is. So it's not quite as bad. It's not like I'm saving you. But also, it, it is in itself a payoff because they find out then that the house really was haunted. But that the ghost is actually their ally and potentially a recurring ally. So I thought it would be a really good way. And I, w I was really thinking about like episodes of Dark Shadows where Josette comes in and saves people at the end and how, you know, how that affected me as a viewer, you know, because it was creepy. She has a really creepy theme song and things like that. I tried to find that on, on YouTube, but I couldn't... Um, the, the, the music they always played whenever Josette materialized. But I always found it a really effective uh, narrative element. So I was happy to do this. So basically what, what uh, the kids went to school and one of the uh, what my daughter's character's friend an NPC whose family actually owned the abandoned Victorian mansion wasn't speaking to her. And she had to do a lot of role-playing to find out why they why he wasn't speaking to her. So it turns out that there's a rumor going around the school that this little boy, whose name is Wendell, that when he was a kid, he went with his dad to the haunted house to check it out. Because they do have to, you know go and make sure it's not falling down and stuff. His dad thought, I'll take Wendell along with me. You know, he'll have to do this someday. Wendell was wandering around alone. He goes into a certain room and he starts to feel a chill. Then the door slams behind him 
and then a wardrobe door, a built-in wardrobe door creaks slowly open. It's really dark inside, so you can't see much, but these red eyes turn on and he hears a little growling sound and he's obviously terrified. He's just a kid and he screams and he wets himself. He never told that story to anybody, but my daughter's character, she named her character Fauna. So now that story's going all around school. So he naturally assumes that Fauna is the one who told everybody. And, you know, I asked her, did you tell anybody, you know, do you think your character would do that? She's like, absolutely not. So we worked it out that Fauna's older sister, Flora, must have been eavesdropping. This came out when Wendell was uh, spending the night at Fauna's house. And they were in their sleeping bags in Fauna's room. And he's like, I never told anybody about this and goes out for the whole story. And so Flora must have been eavesdropping and overheard it. Flora goes to the middle school. So she might have told it around the middle school, but one of the one of the elementary school bullies has an older sibling at the uh, middle school as well. So that's how it, they eventually figured out that that's how that story came around. So they were able to repair their friendship. But the, the problem is, is that now Wendell wants to kind of prove that he's brave. Now it's Halloween and he's like, I'm going to go and investigate that house. And then they'll know I'm brave. Of course, he's not brave. He's terrified. And Fauna's like, I'll go with him. And my son rolled up a character for this too. And he calls his character E.T., because we had actually just shown him the the film E.T. not long before we we ran this game. So, so yeah, they're like, yeah, we're definitely going with you. And then some other stuff happened. Um, Wendell has very a very overprotective mother, and she overheard some of their plans, and she grounded Wendell, so they had to sneak him out of the house. Um... Fauna's mother made Flora take them trick-or-treating and Flora was really pissed off because she wanted to go to the middle school dance and not, you know, take her stupid little sister and brother around. So she was angry at them and she was going to spill the beans that they were sneaking Wendell out of the house on Halloween night to get Wendell in trouble. But it turns out Wendell had seen Flora sneaking out of the house to go meet her friends after hours. So it was kind of, it turned into this thing like, I will not spill the beans on you if you don't spill the beans on me. So now Flora has to, you know, go along with whatever they're doing. Otherwise she'll get grounded. And this is all stuff that happened before they even get to the haunted house. The primary school or elementary school is having their own dance as well. They want to ditch Flora. She's going to be chaperoning them, but they want to ditch Flora. Um, the problem is she's really hard to ditch. They're, they were going to go pretend to go to the bathroom and then sneak out. But Flora followed Fauna into the bathroom. She couldn't follow Wendell or E.T. because she can't go in the boys' bathroom, but she followed Fauna. And so Fauna went into the stall and then very quietly sneaked under the stall and made a run for it and met um, Wendell and E.T. out in the dance hall. But they were stopped by the, the school bully and his two idiot flunkies who just wanted to taunt and tease them. 
And earlier she'd had an altercation with them and she warded them off with their, uh, with her pistol full of, uh, her water pistol full of chili sauce. But this time they weren't having it. Cause basically I, I had her roll, uh, a brawn test to see if she could intimidate them. And this time she failed. Whenever you fail in this game, you get a, an adversity token and you can spend them later to give yourself a plus one on a roll and maybe put yourself over the edge into success when it really counts. So she was going to have to do something more drastic. And what she basically said was she was going to fire the water pistol over their heads so that it landed on them as like raindrops, basically turning a ranged weapon into an area of effect weapon. Um, so that worked out. These bullies are rich bullies, so they're very sensitive about their clothes and their hair and stuff like that. So they were able to uh, neutralize their threat and run out. Of course, there's going to be repercussions for that because they'll get in trouble since they did that in a crowded gym hall and everybody saw them. But they do eventually make it to the haunted house <clears throat> and they start investigating it. But of course, the people in the haunted house are some escaped bank robbers who are looking for a loot that they hid there. Um, so they end up in a place where they're all being held at gunpoint. There are three kids, four bank robbers. So they're outnumbered, but you know, they're adults as well. One of the bank robbers is afraid of ghosts. So the leader takes his most trustworthy person and they, they, they're going to go off and continue searching the house. And they leave the three kids with the two remaining bank robbers. Um, and that's when the kids decide they're going to try to escape. Now, in real life, my son has a wooden sword that he got at a medieval festival. It's, you know, a good solid piece of wood. And he's carrying this around with him in game as well. I'm like, well, that's something that you have in real life, so I don't see why you wouldn't uh, have it in game. So using the fight rules, he decided to take a swing at one of the bank robbers, and he managed to connect in the shin. And, you know, when you get hit in the shin with a, a big piece of wood, again, that's something that, you know, you're going to feel that. When this happens, one of the other bank robbers try, tried to uh, knock Wendell out by, you know, hitting him with the butt of his pistol. But Wendell made his flight test to dodge it, squirmed out, and ran down the hall on his own. Um, the One of the bank robbers ran after him, although he had to limp because he was the one who got hit in the shin. And that left them with the one who's afraid of ghosts. So now he's got his gun trained on Fauna and E.T. And then suddenly they hear a sound coming from the wardrobe in this room. And the wardrobe creaks open. And these red eyes come out. And a growling sound. And the, this, uh, this guy turns tail and runs. And then what comes out, once he's, once he's out of the room what comes out of the wardrobe a mechanical bear toy it's called a bapa bear it really exists there's a 
a story of my mother being terrified by a bapa bear when she was a kid, which is where I got this idea. And it was that thing that Wendell was terrified of, you know, when he had his unfortunate story. What had happened in between was Wendell had gone back into that room that he was so terrified of, had gone straight into the cupboard because he knew he needed to hide there, discovered that the thing was a bear and that it still worked. There are some little connecting crawl spaces that connect the wardrobes of various rooms. That's another detail from the house that my mother grew up in, that they did have these crawl spaces in the wardrobes that connected with each other so that you could crawl from one into another and come out in the wardrobe in another room. So he did that and managed to scare off this bank robber. Now the question is, how does this thing still work? It's an electrical toy. How does it still work after all these years? I'm basically going on this thing that's common in ghost stories where ghosts create an electrical charge when they're around. And that's the explanation. Anyways, the kids could have made a run for it at this point, but they decide they're going to go and see if they can catch the last two bank robbers. What they thought they were going to do with them when they caught them, I have no idea. They eventually find them in the basement, but these are the these are the tough ones. They're not afraid of anything, and they are willing to hurt the kids if they have to. So that's when the Deus Ex Machina comes. The room goes cold. Suddenly, a ghostly light comes come, comes down the uh, basement stairs, and it's the ghost of Mary Water, and that is enough to make the last two bank robbers faint dead away. Flora's phoned the police when she realizes that, that her sister and brother are missing. Coincidentally, Wendell's house is quite close to the Victorian mansion, so they managed to sneak Wendell back into his room before the police arrive, so Wendell doesn't get grounded. However, Fauna gets in trouble for running out of the school dance and... Um, spraying the bullies with hot sauce. This is somewhat offset in that she seems to have participated in bringing some escaped felons to justice, which isn't nothing. There also was a big stash of money that had been hidden in what was once an incinerator in the basement. So that money was recovered. Still, the principal um, was sort of like, look, the next time you're having trouble with kids you really need to go through the proper procedures, tell a teacher, you know, you can't just be taking this into your own hands and you're not supposed to bring squirt guns or any other fake guns into school. So she's on a warning. And that was our first session of Kids on Bikes. And I ad-libbed a lot of that. I mean, I reached into things, you know, stories from you know, stories that I heard as a kid about my mom or things from TV shows and stuff like that. I had a few notes that I made before the session, but not many. A lot of the stuff, I just played it as it went, you know. Like I said, it was the most relaxed I've ever been as a GM, and it was the easiest job GMing. Hardly any dice rolls, really. I, I put in some arbitrary ones to see if I could get them some failure tokens, some adversity tokens to spend later, but they didn't even need to spend them later. One thing I did not do is I did not introduce a powered character. 
I've not been able to find evidence of this l since, but I have this memory. I'm probably just misremembering it. But I have this memory of an early version of the rules that said, said that the powered character is optional. The powered character is a character with psychic powers. It's like Eleven in Stranger Things. Player characters are not allowed to be the powered character, but the powered character is controlled jointly amongst all the player characters. Each one of them controls an aspect of the player character. And like I said, I originally interpreted that as optional. The wording of the rules currently suggests that you're going to have a, a powered character from the get-go. Because I'm reaching for things like the Goonies and as opposed to Stranger Things, I don't feel the need to have a powered character. I'm much more interested in telling a story about what these kids can do on their own. But that's not to say it wouldn't be fun to have a powered character. I just don't feel the need to do it. I have introduced one later. And I rolled up his power randomly because I was afraid that if I chose it, I would just choose telekinesis like 11. And I thought, well, that's, that's predictable. Let me roll the dice and see what I get. But I must say, I do enjoy it more when they're just doing things on their own. You know, just getting into mischief on their own. You know, um, maybe I'll tell some other stories from other sessions. But I wanted to do that because I wanted to show how you can subvert the rumor. So the house was haunted, but not by a bad ghost. And the main bulk of the session involved evading a believable threat, which is escaped bank robbers. And, you know... Why do they have guns if they just broke out of jail? Because it's America. Everybody has guns. So, um, to sum up succinctly after this 45-minute ramble on about how cool Stranger Things is, um, I highly recommend this game. It's great fun. It's very different than what you might consider a traditional fantasy role-playing game, but very refreshing. It It's easy to run. You can run it intuitively and instinctively. And, I mean, yeah, the Ashcan version is great. Um, Perkins, Colorado is as good a, uh, a setting for the game as any. Um, but consider trying to create your own your own town, even without the, the paid version. Because that is definitely a big part of the fun for me was was seeing the players use their creativity. It was a it was a great experience to see them building the world and a great burden off my hands because it uh, I didn't have to build the world. All I have to do is think of ways to twist it around and change it around so that it's still a surprise. But yeah, this is definitely one of my favorite RPGs that I've run for my kids. Um, I highly recommend it, especially if you love 80s movies like The Goonies. Or if you're a big fan of Stranger Things. Um, you could run it in 
a variety of tones from as lighthearted as Scooby-Doo all the way up to as dark as Twin Peaks or The Killing, you know, just depending on what's suitable for your audience and what your players really want to play. It's, it recommends having a talk about the tone and the boundaries and stuff before before you start playing. We're definitely doing more of a Goonies thing, you know. Some drama, but, you know, rated PG or what would be a 12 here in the UK, that kind of thing. And I think, yeah, I've probably bored everybody enough about this, so I will be signing off. Um, so, as always, play well and let the dice fall where they may. <laughs>